Abba Yahweh, again, the opportunity to share in your truth, your knowledge and your wisdom. Thank you for this, Father God. For them that have an ear to let them hear the words, but listen to what's being said, to go to your word, to seek your face and your truth and your knowledge and your wisdom. Abba Yahweh, Amen. So, I am back. A good day to you all. And um, can't get this other page to, there we go. I'm going to uh, take a little ride to the word today. And remember that we're going to follow the rule of faith, which means that we're going to uh, travel old, new, new, old. So fashion seat belts, pull down the safety bar and keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times for your safety. So what we're talking about Because there's many individuals that have a hard time to understand this. They, they, because they continually try to figure God out with our finite mind. And I remind you continually, often, repeatedly, and I will keep doing so, is we are told in the word of God that we cannot fathom, attempt to understand the depth of the mystery of God can't be done, not by our finite mind, by any way, shape, or form. And I don't care what intellectual prowess you think you possess, you're not going to be able to do it. I've shared this with you before, that you have these theoretical scientists that, that consider themselves to be so much smarter than everyone else, but I've actually found them to be very arrogant and very, well... Quite honestly, they're stupefied. And I say that because they're unable to prove a theory that they have, but because they help to establish a theory, that means that they're smarter than everybody else. Well, in their own mind's eye, and that's okay. But remember what the book of Proverbs teaches. It tells us not to go there. And those that do are fools. And there are many of these so-called highly intellectual individuals said that they have decided that because they can't figure out this theories on space relatively quantum physics uh wormholes black holes and the alleged ability of those that uh there are many that believe and have seen visitors from other lo locations in the galaxy. We'll just call them unidentified flying objects, which they are. And why does that always turn to something so hideous and so nasty and so vile? I don't know. Uh, an unidentified flying object is something that you see in the sky and you just can't identify it and you're unable to do so. And we had several of those going on over here uh, this past year. And they proved to be something that was actually recognizable. But anyway, you have these individuals that 
are satisfied with a theory that has nothing been proved. They just write all the, a lot of these numbers around and then they, they explain it as if it's something factual. Well, theories are exactly that. There's, there's nothing that has proven them. Once they have gone into that proof mode, they have become a thesis and then there's more proof that's come and then it's found something that can be given as a fact. But until that takes place, it's nothing more than a thought, nothing more than an idea, and it hasn't been proven. But for me, in my faith, in my walk, and these infallible proofs and truths that I have had shared with me in the Bible, through the Bible, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, and teaching, and that I believe that Jesus Christ came for me and he saw me from a great distance. He saw me from afar off. So he came and he died for me to give me the opportunity that I could have for repentance, redemption, and have my eternity spent with my loved ones and with him and our Father. And that, brothers and sisters, I have faith in. I believe it in truth. I have had too many things that have been shown to me and in my life when I go back and I review in my mind, not regretting anything or uh, being remorseful. Well, I can't say that because some things I do remorse over, but I, I can't dwell on that. See, that's what the enemy wants us to do. When we look back, he wants us to be remorseful and then we start wallowing in that, that and being regretful and then regret leads to resentment and then complaining. And there's all sorts of things that ball into that. This is why when the nation of Israel was told and Moses told Joshua, he was taking over the leadership of these 600,000 whining, crying, pain in the neck. Quite honestly, they were. I mean, every time you turn around, you look at it. They were whining, crying, and complaining about something. And then they were demanding. <coughs> they were demanding things that they had easily adopted. And that was uh, false idols and deities, false gods, statues, and things that they were worshipped and they had learned to worship and not following God's direction. So Moses was leading them and Joshua was taking over and before they were going into the promised land, he, they built an altar at the point that they were crossing. But he also told them and had the elders to tell their people to look back, to look back and remember, not to look back in remorse, not to look back in regret, but look back and all the times that they were whining and crying and complaining about things 
that during all of that, God was still there, God was still with them, and God was still protecting, guiding, and loving them. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, provided them heavenly bread that the angels partook of, and yet they complained about it. Oh, we're tired of this light bread. We, we loathe this white, light bread. Oh, <laughs> the angels eat it. But that wasn't good enough for them because they didn't like it. And then he provided them quail and pheasant, and they complained about that because contrary to what and how God explained to them not to, to grab them and hoard them and keep them and hover over these things and, and put them in, in storage, they weren't going to keep. And he told them this, but they attempted it anyway, and it didn't work because the meat immediately spoiled and they couldn't do it. But this is a lesson, and I I have to reflect on this for myself and 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 point to this. And this is a thing that <clears throat> that um, Satan really loves to get us to dwell in, is to dwell in having not. But with God, we always have. God provides everything that we need in abundance. Might not be everything that we want, but it's everything that we need, and he promises to do that, and he does do that. I cannot express to you enough on how many times I sit and look around and realize what an immense comfort and pleasure that I that God has given to me in seeing where I was and what he's brought me to. And even when I first got here, still being frightened and not letting go and clinging on, but praying, but clinging on, but praying and clinging on. And this is what we have a practice of doing. You pray, but you keep your hands closed. You won't let go. You won't open up and let it go and get out of his way and your own way so that you can receive these things. You have to let go in order to let it happen. And if you don't, there's so many things. First of all, your hands are clenched in a tight fist. And if you look at them, I've had you do this exercise before. You make a fist and then you look at the end where your thumbs are and you turn your hand over and you look over where the fingers, and you've got no space in there. You can't do, you got, you can't hold on to anything until you open your hands. And then all of a sudden you look in there and, oh, look at all that space I have. Now I can, now I can catch things. I can hold things. And two, when you've got that going, you've got your arms clenched, your fists clenched, and your arms out there, you're, you're blocking anything from coming down. And remember, God tells those of us that love him, and we exercise that, and we show that, that he wants to open up the heavens, open the windows of heaven, and pour out his blessings upon us. But how are you going to catch and hold any of that if you got your hands clenched, your fists clenched so tightly that you can't catch any of that and you can't put anything in the vessel that he wants you to be because you've got your mind closed, 
At the same time that you've got your fists closed tight, you've got your mind closed. That, brothers and sisters, is an important aspect, and I've shared this with you before, <clears throat> that Satan loves to attack your mindset, and it is the weakest point of attack. doesn't matter what you think your intellectual prowess to be or how smart you think you are, you are really not that. You're not all that. The devil has deceived you into believing that. And what he gets you further to believe is that you don't need all of it. You're smart. You can figure it all out on your own. Well, not so. And there's demonstrations that throughout the Bible, when individuals turn on their own understanding, and they leaned into that to do for themselves, they found themselves in a world of hurt and a whole bunch of problems. So we are reminded not to do that. And we're also told that those that do so are not really so bright, they're fools. David talks about it in the Psalms that those that declare that there is no God are fools and those that teach that doctrine and that false teaching are fools and foolish. But what does that say about those that follow that doctrine? That they want those teachers, they want those to teach them and they want those that are declaring perverting the word of God and declaring that the word of God is being taught wrong because God is a blackmailer and all these other foolish nonsense adjectives that they try to pin on God through their own understanding and through their intellect. But it's false. It's froward speaking and contrary to the promises and the truth. So if they're teaching that, what does it say about the congregation that are following them and declaring that what they're saying is powerful and truth? It's a sad thing. God is nearer than we perceive all the time. You have to practice, and this is, this is our first study book guide I, I shared with you, and it's called Practicing His Presence. Um, this is journalistic writing from a gentleman called Brother Lawrence. He was a Carmelite monk. Carmelite member and he was he was adhering to the practice of contemplated presence of God these are some notes that I wrote in here and he practiced this was something that he took and he practiced and one of his 
teachings or one of his um, one of his guides is Joshua one eight, and this is an important thing that we have to remember. This the book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. What does that mean? Well, this book, the Bible, is they are the tenants the precepts of the Lord God Almighty, his rules that he sets out for us. But it is the book of his truth, his love, his knowledge, his wisdom, his promises. And it is our guidebook. It's our roadmap. It's our instruction manual for this plane of existence that we're on and in. And this is what Brother Lawrence was sharing, and this is a Carmelite. He was writing his journals, comes from the 1500s. But as the word of God, it's as relevant to, to us today as it was to him then and was to Joshua back when he was writing this down. The book of God and truth and knowledge and wisdom is as relevant today as it was when it was written in first pen. And these perverts that tried to declare that it needs to be rewritten to be more relevant. Whoa, hold on. Here's this man writing in the 1500s. He's doing his journalistic writing and he studies the practice of contemplative presence of God. He practices what the Bible tells us. We need to meditate. And then, of course, I've tried to share this with individuals before that claim to be Christian. <laughs> yeah, you heard that chuckle? Well, yeah, I, it, I just pray for them because they're, what they're doing is they're making obvious that they're not because they make light of, and when you talk about meditation, they, they, oh, you know, they get this image that you have to sit in a lotus position and you've got your, um, you've got your middle finger touching your, or your thumb touching your middle finger and you're leaning there and you're in the lotus position, which is a cross-leg position way. It's pretty, pretty intense to get into. And you just sit there and, and then you hum and you hum and you hum, 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 or you might recite a mantra or you have these little gong bells that you reach out and you tag every once in a while. And, you know, I'm not sure what all that is about, but that's not what meditating on God is. I meditate on God probably not as often as I should. Father, strengthen me, make that important. But you go through the course of your day, and rather than going up and down the aisles of Lowe's or Home Depot, wherever you might work, and thinking about all the inventory and all that, when you walk up and down these aisles and you don't, it's not a busy day, it's a quiet day and you're just restocking and doing all this stuff and you know where things are, things become, right? You you think about God. You th think on 
being with God, you think on things and you maybe um, are remembering a certain scripture. That's meditation. Oh, yes, it is. That is meditating. And it works better when you're in a quieter place. You don't have all these other distractions. But that's meditation. When you are focusing your thought process on God and his word and his truth and his knowledge and his wisdom and you're contemplating this and this is going in your mind and you work on memorizing scriptures, that's meditation. That is meditation. Period. It is. And you have all of that. No, you got to this and you got to... It's the same thing with prayer posture. God does not demand you to have a certain prayer posture when you talk to him. Remember, I shared this with you. Prayer from the saints, which is what all of us that are true believers and followers and declaration of being Christians are, he calls us as saints. And our prayers to him are as a sweet savor as it was shared to John while he was on the island of Patmos, the angel took him in the spirit and showed him this, this larder that, that God has these little golden vials stacked on and they're a sweet savor and he likes to smell these. Well, what that means, in other places in the Bible, it says that our prayers are as a, a sweet incense or a sacrificial incense that, that go up to God. Well, that's what these little golden piles are. It's that incense of our prayers and that sweet savor to his nostrils, that, that sweetness of our prayers. But God is with us more than we know, more than we realize. And we need to meditate on that Day and night. And uh, David writes in Psalm 77, 12, I will meditate also of all thy works and talk of thy doings. So he's not only thinking about what God does, but he talks about it. He shares about what God has done for him. That's what testifying is. That's testimony when you go out. And then you have some churches that you cannot go out and do that unless you're certified by the church in order to do that. Oh, wait a second. I, I have a problem there. First of all, I have a problem that, and, and I've told folks this, I've shared it with you. I don't have a degree. I, I'm not some theological wizard going in and saying that all this is mine and I know more. It is, that's not true. What God has given to me comes from HSU, Heaven Sent University. That's where my credentials come from. That's where my validation comes in. And that's the only validation I need and the only validation I care for. I don't need some person who has decided that they have more authority because they have a position in a church. So now they're going to declare that and they're going to say that I can't do certain things because I don't have a little piece of paper that they signed telling me that I can go out and talk about God. Well, here's the thing. You can do that, and churches that, that tell you that are, are teaching falsely. But here's the other thing. You, you must make sure that if you're, especially if you're a newer Christian, because some people are going to ask for scriptures, and if you don't know them and you're just 
you just become a Christian, that you're really on fire and you want to share it, that's okay. Because a testimony of your truth, of what happened in your life specifically to you, is what matters. And you can do that. But have someone with you that has strength in the word and can be a guide. And when questions come up that you're unable to answer, that they can help you. That is important. Just don't go out and go on your own and think that you're going to be this. Don't go out, as I've shared with you, half-cocked. And, you know, you have this, you're on the Great Commission. We're going to send you out on this Great Commission. And sometimes there are churches that do that. They'll send you send people out by themselves. You should never do that. Remember when Jesus sent the disciples out, he sent them out. He didn't send them alone. They went out two by two. There's a reason for that. So brothers and sisters, what you also have to remember too, there's a lot of these things in here dealing with the meditation. Um, in Psalm 19, 14, David talks about the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart. And in Genesis 24 and 63, we can see where Isaac, he went out to meditate in the field at eventide. What that means is when the evening was coming and, and things were all starting to slow down and and whatever chores were being done and it was starting to get dark, it was becoming dusk, the sun was setting. He went out in the field. He just went out away from folks. And he went out to meditate on God, to talk to God, think about God, be with God. And I've shared with you, and, and this is actually shared and written of in, uh, in several places in the Bible, um, Matthew 12, 34. Luke six forty five, and Psalm nineteen fourteen. David shares it. Matthew shares it. The physician Luke shares it. So, what is in your heart? You're going to talk about. So, if you have the Lord and God where it should be, you're going to share that. But here we have to remember that that God is around us all the time. And in my reading, and, and God talks about, pardon me, coffee sip. God thinks about that. If, if we could, if we as his children could recognize that he's with us all the time, that these sensations of loneliness and these things that happen, we wouldn't have them. And here's the thing too with God, we can be alone and not lonely. Goodness gracious. If God is with us and we are sitting alone, we don't have all these, how are you... Kind of sit there and then start. See, this is where Satan likes to divert our attention. <clears throat> Pardon me. This is where Satan 
likes to divert our attention <clears throat> to the fact that we don't have people all around us. And we, he gets us so caught up with having to do and having people around and all these things going on all the time and yada, 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 baba, 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 all the time. And we are of the idea or we have this notion that that has to be that way all the time. <clears throat> no, it doesn't. Not at all. Quiet time. Downtime. Rest time. The Bible tells us that, that that's actually better for us. Taking that time to rest, recuperate. So brethren and sisters, that's all we have to do is practice the presence of God and being with God. For me, I have a lot of alone time, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't, I don't have people coming over here to visit with me. I don't have people coming by here to be at my house or visit, or even, I don't even have people checking on me, which is, be perfectly honest, is kind of strange because um, I have been in churches where that's a pretty common practice. And I don't get that. Here and now, I, I have a lot of alone time. And there are people that won't call because they have this little electronic device, so they'd rather text and type you out a message, and they don't want to give you part of their person in talking to you verbally. I find that to be sad, but it's not a great big deal for me because although alone, I'm not lonely. God spends a lot of time with me. God, spend, God spends time with me all day and into the evening. I might not recognize that every single second of the day or every minute of the day. Forgive me, Father, for that, but that's the thing that we need to practice. And this is where that, that phrase comes in, practicing his presence. And that, that Brother Lawrence from 1500s, and then you have uh, Brother Labach, who was, um, I forget what the date in his time, I think he was in the 50s, 60s. He was around, around the same time with uh, Brother Billy Graham, I believe. Not the same time. But the thing of it is, is that if we practice this presence and practicing his presence, um, that's what we need to do. And some of the things that uh, Brother Labach wrote about in his journal. And he wrote and shared some things that are really very important.
And I also told you that I, eh, I didn't really plagiarize it because I'm sharing with you where it came from. So I didn't just take it and tell and deceptively tell people it was mine. I had not heard that phrase before. And when he used it in his journal, practicing the presence of God or his hearness, being aware of his hearness, I absolutely fell in love with that phrasing and I use it. And it is indeed a really powerful phrasing. I, I love, so I practice his presence and I practice the hearness of God. And I rejoice in the hearness of God. And when he comes, I've shared with you the times, and you can tell when he is here with me and, and approving. And when he just takes his arms. <sighs> He puts his arms around me because he is glad of my sharing of his truth and talking about his love. So he puts his arms around me and he just shares more. <laughs> and it happens. You you know when it happens because you can hear my voice change and you hear me get kind of... Again, yes, he's doing it now. Um become hesitant and sometimes, you know, and, and it wells up and it starts to, I start to leak. And so understand this too. This, this is one of his, uh, one of his writing. This is from 1930 something and out of his journal. Let me go back here and get a date. Not that that's really important. So this is in 1930. And uh, he writes in this last journal entry on that day, a prison or a dungeon makes no difference if one is with God. We preach and profess that as true, and it is true. But upon my word, I do not see many people who seem to have experienced it. Well, that means that they're not in a personal relationship with God and I am finding out that there are those that when in appearances sake, for appearances sakes, and we, we can read scriptural reference to this in Philippians 4, 12, and 13. Um, but there are individuals that have not experienced a personal relationship with God. They talk about God and share God and... Um, things that we ought to do, but they themselves have not experienced a personal relationship with God. And there are those that, that actually do that, that are Christian. And that's not, that's not really a bad thing. It's just that it could be better for them, but they have a problem doing that because they're so busy. They're so caught up. And see, this is a thing that the devil loves to do. is he loves to get you to be away from that. So Paul is talking in this Philipp Philippians 4, 12 and 13, as he's talking about when he was being imprisoned. And remember too, I've shared this, that, that at least 80 to 90% of what Paul wrote 
in his letters and in, in uh, his gospels that are attributed to his writings, his epistles, which are letters, um, they were while he was either under house arrest, he was actually in prison, or he was in chains. And he testifies in, in this letter to the Philippians. He's reminding him that he knows how to be both content wherever he's at in that he has and he has not, and he's learned how to be both. And remember, I've shared this with you before, is that Paul was actually quite a wealthy man. He was paid by the Romans. He was also paid by the uh, pharisaical tyrants, those that claimed to be <clears throat> the religious elders at the time. Right. They didn't care anything, and, and that was demonstrated on the road to Samaria. When Jesus gave that lesson, which was an actual incident, but they walked around this man who was in need, and these were these were the priests, and these were the Levites who were supposed to be the caretakers of the temple. But they walked around this man because if they touched him, then they would be unclean. And and hear this and know this: that uncleanliness that they kept, they declared this to Jesus about him and his disciples when they went out. And they took corn and grain and they were eating it out there and they didn't wash their hands. They complained about that. And Jesus turned and told them and he rebuked them then. He said, wait a minute, you complain and you worry about what is happening on the outside and you worry nothing about on what's going on the inside. And he, he likened that unto the the uh, tombs and the, the buildings and temples and how they, they whitewashed everything and everything looked real pretty outside, but the inside looked like trash. And they didn't understand the parable as he took it and he turned it into a parabolic speech and a lesson for them. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it then and they probably still don't get it for those that practice that way. And they don't. What does that got to do with us? Well, it has everything to do with you. You're so worried about what you look like on the outside that the what matters is the truth and the love and the thing that you should have in your heart isn't there. And he tried to get them to understand it. They were worried about their trappings and what they were wearing and what they looked like outside the people. And we find that in the word. <clears throat> but here's the thing that God reminds us of too, is that my own children have nothing to fear. I have cleansed them by my blood. I've clothed them in my righteousness And that we should be blessed by his intimate nearness that he has with us. And that if we have him as residence in our hearts, as we should, then we should be sharing that with others and letting that show out. And in the darkness and in the things that we see going on around the world, that if we go out into that, that that light that we have and that we, we not only profess, but we should have in possession will shine out even more. I've shared this with you before. We are watched. Oh, yes. Those that claim to be Christian and profess that. And I'm, I'm not only talking about the label heads and the self-proclaimed Christians, I'm talking about those that are. Sadly, we tend to get lumped into one grouping and those that are label heads and self-proclaimed Christians, unfortunately, 
testify to truth and but people are not able to differentiate because what they do then is they say oh those christians and then everybody gets lumped into that lump just like i as i shared this with you before as a commercial truck driver and i used to hear this often oh those truck drivers oh those drivers oh those and so for the air or that was presented by one or two or a few was then just labeled and slapped onto every single commercial truck driver. And 80% of incidents that took place on the highway were not even the fault of the truck driver, but got blamed for it. And every driver then got blamed. And that tends to be the way of it now is that the, label heads and self-proclaimed Christians that are making bad showing are tending to draw that onto those that are. But we go back and we will go back and I'm going back following the rule of faith. And we're going to go back into Isaiah. I believe that's where we first find that. Let me go back here. I'm going to go back to the book of Isaiah. I believe it's 60, Isaiah 61. Sorry. I, I have it marked. thought I had it marked. Here we go. It is. It's in, in Isaiah 61 and 10, actually. God's blessing on us. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation he hath covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. That's a pretty important passage right there. And I share that with you because... When we are clothed in his righteousness, as with a bridegroom, let me ask you a question here. Uh, we're, it's all relative, it's all leading, and I know I jumped over there right quick. But when you see, when you see a bride and a bridegroom, or you see a person, we, we won't call them that yet, but... Don't you know simply by what they're wearing what's going on with them? I mean, you can see them. And you know just by what they're wearing, oh, they're getting married. That's a bride and his bride. A bride and bridegroom. You recognize. So by being clothed in his righteousness, we would be recognized. And if you're wearing this righteousness that God has decked us out with, 
then we would be readily recognized and be in his truth. And people would know that. They would recognize it. You wouldn't have to make a declaration every time you go out and you toot the horn and bang the drum and clang the cymbals. They would know. This is what we are supposed to be like. If you are a true believer and a true Christian, then by your countenance, they would know and they would recognize. In Psalm 25, 12 and 13, what man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall be... Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. This is the true believer and the true Christian. That's what David is talking about. What man is he that feareth the the Lord? And we're talking about an auspicious auspicious fear of God. We're not talking about trembling and cowering and every time you move around, you, you, you duck your head. And I see dogs that do that. And once in a while, I know, see, my two service dogs have been with me for a really long time, but they have, they're both rescues and they have a memory implant. So every once in a while, depending on how I approach, sometimes they will, they will kind of, do that little duck thing, but they know that I'm not going to, they know that. And then they, they come out of it immediately. But it kind of hurts my heart to think about what they went through. We don't have to be that way with God. We don't have to duck every time we, you know, and, and turn and sort of try to hide things away. And here's the thing that Bible tells us that God knows our coming, our going, our rising, our lying down, He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going to say. But he appreciates our personal relationship with him to talk with him. But you don't have to duck and hide. And you can't anyway. But having an auspicious fear of him, knowing that he is a sovereign Lord God, Abba Yahweh, Heavenly Father, maker of all things made. An auspicious fear, knowing that he is sovereign respecting that, knowing that, not being arrogant, but that we can boldly and humbly come before God and talk with him. He's our father. So here we have also in Psalm 25, 20, 21. Oh, keep my soul, deliver me. Let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. I think I shared with you this with you before, integrity. What is integrity? That means to do the right thing no matter who or whom is or is not watching. That means that you do the right thing. It doesn't matter who's around you, that you do the thing that you're supposed to do regardless. It doesn't make any difference if the boss is not watching or the boss is watching, you should still be doing the right thing. And I tried to share this in a place of employment that I had when they asked me for a for uh, what that meant to me and what it meant. So I gave them the exact textbook. 
definition of integrity because that I learned when I was in the Marines. Well, those that were in that promotional board, they tried to talk around that and they tried to dispel that. So they wanted me to have integrity the way they wanted to deliver integrity and manipulate it the way that they wanted to. But see, that's not what integrity is. And they didn't like that because then that put them in a position of, oh gosh, if this guy's going to be a supervisor and he's going to want to do the right thing all the time, that's going to put pressure on us. So they played that pharmaceutical tyrant thing and they played that card. Um, not agitated or anything, but the, the truth and revelation came out. It was annoying at first, but then the Holy Spirit was talking to me that, that I did the right thing, I said the right thing, and I was practicing all the right things, and to continue doing that because that was integrity, and integrity according to the word of God. But see, they didn't like it because then it put pressure on them just like what they did with Jesus. Jesus put pressure, but he didn't apply any pressure to him. He was just doing the right thing, and he was being kind and compassionate and doing what he was supposed to do and doing so without any laudation or praise or anything from every, they followed him because of his authority and they liked what he was saying and they felt what he was saying. They could feel his, his intention and the integrity that he, the spiritual integrity that he had. But see the first cervical tyrants because they got paid for doing what they did and, and doing everything Jesus was doing, but they got, um, they got free food and they got paid for doing it. They had a hard time dealing with that because that put pressure on them and that they thought that they had to do it for free now. But here's here's this, um, I learned a couple things and I studied on this from my reading and study this morning. Um, So here's a couple things that in, in doing this and that when we practice, if we practice God's presence, if we practice his presence and we truly believe in that and we try to exercise that and we practice that, that we have to understand that his presence impinges. There's a new word for y'all. Write it down. Pay attention, because it's a real word. And it's not the same as infringe. They are not synonymous, should not be used synonymously. You cannot interchange them because they mean two different things. Similar but different. So impinge means to make an impression or to have an impact. And it comes from Latin, impegere, to, to drive in or to to fix to to affix to so in that if we practice the presence of God and by wearing the robe of righteousness that it makes a difference that can be visibly seen and it does make an impact because our lives are changed by his love and his grace and his presence in our lives and we should be showing that outwardly. 
Okay, so that it impinges, his presence impinges on our being because he's in us and, and it makes an impact. It, it, it makes um, a showing on our lives. Now, the word infringe, let's see, the first word is impinge. I am P-I-N-G-E. And then the other one is infringe. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that because God is our loving heavenly father. He's also very polite because if we are as demanding as we are sometimes, the spoiled children that we are, is we demand for him to let us do things on our own and we become rather demanding of that. And he honors that. So he steps back. He says, okay, I'm going to do that. I love you. You're my children. And I really want to help you. But you're being very demanding right now. And I'm going to allow you to do that. So he steps back. And he allows us to do that. We are not good at it, and we actually mess it up pretty good, <clears throat> but because of his being a good heavenly father that he is, he steps back. So now when you infringe on something, that means you commit a breach or uh, an infraction, or you violate the privacy and you just go ahead and you pretty much you just barge in on somebody. <clears throat> Pardon me. You just barge in and you're going to do it. Well, God doesn't do that. So, definition to commit a breach or an infraction or to violate or transgress. God doesn't do that. He doesn't infringe on. You want to be alone you, you and you sit there and say, you know, I got this, I can do this. And you don't talk to God about it. You don't pray to God about it. You don't bring it up at all. And you just going to do it on your own. God is a polite God. He will step back and let you do that. Until you say, you know what? I can't do it on my own. And sometimes you might understand, and here's where the other part of this, this comes from the Latin, um, to infringe or to trespass. In Latin, the word infrigere more directly means to, to break or weaken. So sometimes when you become so demanding that God leave you alone and you can handle it, you might find that you get broken and you are weakened in that state. And a lot of people want to shake their fists and 
at heaven and complain that God, well, why did God do that? Why did God do that? Why did God do that? Well, because so many people are blaming God anyway, and they're griping, I got this, I got this, I can do it. I don't need God. I got this all by myself. I don't need God to do this. Well, guess what? Then they start realizing once they get in the midst of it that they do need to have God's strength and his help. But before they do all that, they need to repent. They need to take Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. I want him in my life. I want to change my life. But I know that I need to have Jesus in order to do that. That must be done first. And in doing that, then the doors are open. <clears throat> Remember, I shared with you that in the crucifixion, when Jesus did die, that the, that the curtain that was separated the Holy of Holies from the congregation where only the high priest could go in there, don't need that anymore. But in order to get to the Father, you have to go through the Son. There are things that are acceptable and required. And we have to know these things. David shares in Psalm 139, one through four. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Oh, Lord. That's in Psalm 139, 1 through 4. In Ephesians 2, 13, that Paul writes in his letter to the church at Ephesus, but now in Christ you, who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Remember, I've shared this with you before, that in Acts 2, we, we talk about how the young will dream dreams, and it's talked about all this, the problem, and when it, <clears throat> and when Peter's talking about the descendants and he's talking about afar off, he's not talking about from Jerusalem to Damascus or from Jerusalem to Smyrna. We're not talking about a geographical distance. I firmly believe that we're talking about time. And it tells us right there, David describes that that he knows us and that we have been brought near to God because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. That's in Ephesians 2 and 13, through the blood of Christ. Paul also writes in his second letter to the church at Corinth, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God be clothed in their righteousness and that we are shown to be righteous. And if we are clothed in his righteousness that we're more obvious to those that watch and they do watch. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers on my going out and my coming in daily. Be blessed.